Hey everyone, this is Pow. Before I begin our next episode, I want to let you all know that this was originally recorded on January 12, 2023, and we are only now releasing it in April 2023. I apologize for the delay. This does mean that our discussion in this episode on the astro weather and announcements are all a bit out of date, but we hope you all enjoy the rest of the episode, and I want to thank you all for listening. Take care. Hey everyone, this is Pow, and I'm here with Mo, and we are finishing up our series on the joys. Well, not fully finishing up, because we are planning on doing some more episodes around the houses that don't have a planet, that joys, like things like that, but... This is, we are at our final planet, traditional planet, and we are going to go over Saturn and it's joy in the 12th house. But as we always do, before we jump into it, we want to first talk about the current astro weather. So where do you want to begin, Mo? I feel like we should talk about the absolute fuckery that Mercury is on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So we this past week, um, we just had a Mercury-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn and Mo and I were talking before this that it was very, very loud. So loud that neither of us had to explicitly state (laughs) why it's so loud. We know. I mean, I think those of you who are very plugged into the astrology community know exactly what happened this, like, week of February. It's funny because every time something happens with astrologers, there's always some ridiculous Mercury transit happening, which is kind of making me a little bit worried for the time that Mercury finally goes into Pisces because then it will be with Neptune on axis to Mars and that being a very stressful experience. Um, I think that another thing that was interesting is I think in one of the forecasts, I don't know if it was this forecast or the last forecast, but I do feel like it's come up a lot, uh, the concept of whistleblowers right? Mm, And so I feel like a lot of the recent sightings of, you know, these sorts of um, Chinese spy balloons, which is funny because it's literally a device that's meant to collect intelligence on the materials that other people have, right? (laughs) One of the balloons was hovering over, I think, a military facility or base in Montana or something. Mm -hmm. And What was funny is uh, one person I was talking to actually attended a talk suggesting that it's not that the government has not known about these balloons. Uh, They've known about them for some time. And the thing is that China doesn't usually deploy them unless their main sources of collecting intelligence are disrupted in some way. Uh, so yeah, that, that was interesting to hear. And I feel like also the discourse around these unidentified flying objects now over Canada, I'm like, what's going on? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that about, I mean, I, I had heard that, you know, we've known about these balloons. It's not like some, like, like, you know, it's not some new discovery by the U S government, but um, I didn't know that they only really get deployed when their other forms of intelligence have been disrupted in some way. So, I mean, I have a lot of questions about that. And yeah, me too. It's very loud. Me too. Another thing is that uh, 
from the sounds of this talk, it sounds like, I think it was Ian Bremer who gave the talk, I want to say Friday, for those of you who had the privilege of hearing it. I know he has a podcast called G Zero, where he discusses a lot of these issues, and I believe a new episode should be dropping. So if you're interested in geopolitics and trying to map that onto the astrology, I recommend it. The thing that was interesting to me is that it seems like the only reason that it's becoming a big deal is that somebody is bringing the attention to the press of, you know, oh, like, this is happening. It's like, uh this has always been happening. It's just now someone is feeding it to the media. Don't know what their agenda is. Don't know who's doing it, but yes. Yeah. 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 And obviously the media is really, really, really (laughs) eating it up. So they really are. Uh, So for those of you who live North of the U S border, who also have the privilege of living in the greater Toronto area, you'll know that literally the day that freaking Mercury conjoined Pluto, the mayor was exposed for having an affair during much of the pandemic, which only ended, I think, maybe earlier this year. You know, we're only six weeks into the freaking year, oh, right? <laughs> and for those of you who are not aware, we just had a mayoral election, I want to say sometime last year. So he was recently reelected and he was still having this affair. Subordinate <laughs> in his office, who's half his age. Um, I'm glad the media didn't dig too much into who she is because I think about what happened with Monica Lewinsky mm-hmm. and the whole Clinton scandal and how everybody was, and you know, she was only in her early 20s at the time, right? So, yeah. and how they kind of hung her out to dry. So, I'm glad the media didn't go there, but also the timing of it's weird because the premier, which is the equivalent of a governor of the province may have his own little scandal because somebody who's trying to dismantle the green belt, which is this protected area of, you know, nature that they want to turn into land for commercial development now and to build like a highway on it, um, is apparently attending his daughter's wedding or like, it's just really shady. Right. And it's interesting that the timing of that news is coming out when, you know, the premier is also having his own shadiness. So there's some speculation on the socials about, you know, who's he taking the fall for? Like, what's what's the what's the bigger scandal? Because everybody's just kind of like, you know, Toronto used to have a drug addict for a mayor, right? Mm. So they're like, actually was, I think he was on Kimmel and some of the US like um, late night shows doing interviews and stuff. So he was like, not only an embarrassment to the city, but also Canada, right? Yeah. Like, it's a meme. So I feel like the bar is in hell. (laughs) But, you know, just it's, I feel like people are also desensitized to it. So they're just kind of like, okay, something bigger is going on. Like, what is this about really? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, between Mercury, Pluto, and then also we had this full moon in Leo that was really active activating uranus there <laughs> it, i mean even on a personal level like this was a rough week for me like i moved so the full moon in my fourth house um was very very literal for me mm-hmm. and the move went as well as it could have but it just like i i'm not gonna go into it but it, it just like the long story short was it was just like a really really rough transition um mm-hmm. and you know as someone who's a taurus rising <laughs> it's with a lot of, and a taurus moon um you know, it's 
when you're home, like when home doesn't feel like home yet, you know, and it takes some time, like it's just this like most destabilizing feeling. And I, I feel like I'm barely physically recovering still and emotionally and mentally recovering from this move. And it's been like only a week. So, yeah. So I want to say to all the fixed placements out there, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. And I love that um, Cameron Cassidy on Astro Twitter he said something to the effect of the rest of 2023 being much like fixed sign reparations. <laughs> Just because, you know, for four months, we're going to have this extended presence or square off of the benefics in Leo and Taurus. We're having the nodes move out of Scorpio Taurus, and we're finally having Saturn move out of Aquarius. All we have to deal with is Uranus and Taurus, but mm -hmm. there's this really nice pocket in 2024 where, you know, I think Uranus is applying to the sun and it's in between the benefics. That's baked into my solar return for 2024, so I'm really <laughs> excited about it. So, yes, I think this is where fixed signs can finally start to make peace with some of these permanent changes. And I do feel like, you know, the sun finally moving out of Aquarius is sort of a bookend of this chapter of change for fixed signs. I agree with it. And I do think some of this time was a little bit of like a sneak peek or foreshadowing into there's also we're going to have a Venus retrograde in Leo over the summer, which also will very much be activating Uranus. Um, and but I do like as you said, like Jupiter will also be in Taurus at that time. So you're going to have the benefics and fixed signs. So I'm getting a sense that overall, it's going to be good things um but yeah you know uranus is just going to continue to be uranus and could bring up um you know some surprises or maybe even just like a little bit of like that's destabilizing feeling and um even as i just described like i moved which is overall a good thing but oftentimes like these really really great things that are um, that we want to celebrate in our lives can also be very, very destabilizing. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for people to get really, really down after some like big victory or win, right? I mean, that was me after I defended my uh, master, you know, in the middle of January. Yeah. And right. finally being done with, you know, a certain chapter of my life, but then also having to face the reality of, you know, needing money, not having income, being in a foreign place, uh, not really having that sort of standing, being on the time crunch of <clears throat> getting my status here more secured um, before my uh, visa runs out. So that's been a very stressful experience. And I feel like, you know, because my fourth house is being activated by virtue of being in a Gemini perfection. Mm -hmm. Mars retrograde has been rough. The Pluto... Mercury conjunction was really rough and it just really made that reality a lot more salient. Mm. I don't think Saturn being in a square to my sun or opposite my Mars has been very helpful either. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to this like transition out of Aquarius season. Um, yes. I feel like this week is very much that. Mm. So you know, right after Valentine's Day, we have this Venus-Neptune conjunction in Pisces. And, you know, I I feel like it's a blessing and a curse. Um, I'm actually working on a newsletter about Venus-Neptune. And I've been mm -hmm. reflecting on my own experiences as someone who has 
a hard aspect between those planets. Mm. Seeing how both the peak of joy and ecstasy I have experienced, but also maybe under not the most ideal or questionable circumstances. And I feel like when these planets come together, it's very much that. Mm. Um, and what's interesting about this particular set of conjunctions that they're going to make for the rest of the time, <clears throat> Neptune is in Pisces, uh, Neptune and Venus will be making these conjunctions closer and closer to Venus's exaltation degree. So oh. just be mindful of the, the over-promising of things and things seeming more ideal than they are or alternatively worse than they actually are. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> um, especially for those of you all who have, you know, Valentine's plans and dates and all those kinds of things. I'm very curious what will come up for me. My partner is planning um, all Valentine's um, and I don't know at all like what's going to be happening. And I'm just kind of relinquishing all that to him. So I'm very curious to see. Um, what will bring up for, for both of us, he has Pisces placements actually, but none of his are in that Deccan. Um, mm. And then I don't have any. So it's, um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, I already did anything that I was supposed to do for Valentine's Day. I want to say, was it a few weeks, two weeks ago? No, last weekend. That, that was for me. Um, <laughs> this Valentine's Day... I have no plans. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy whatever insights that this particular conjunction brings. It hmm. is still pretty close to my Saturn. So that'll be interesting. Um, yeah. But then what's interesting is that right after we have that Saturn Kazemi in Aquarius. Yes. Which will, you know, this, and this is right before Saturn's going to go into Pisces next month. Right. So um, I'm very curious what this will bring. Cause you know, Kazemi's in general, right. Are like kind of like a rebirth, like our beginning of a new cycle for mm -hmm. a planet. And so for this to happen to Saturn right before it's about to leave Aquarius, I it, it yeah, I don't know. I, I it made me it makes me kind of wonder if um what kind of final gifts Saturn in Aquarius is going to bring to us on a mundane and a personal level before it leaves Aquarius. Yeah, I have been exploring this uh, transit with different clients. I've been getting a lot of people with Leo and Aquarius placements lately. I feel like they're really feeling all the configurations during Aquarius season very strongly. Yes. And it seems as if there's this need to maybe recalibrate that Leonine part of their lives and maybe humble themselves and be held accountable to the will and agenda of some sort of other or collective, right? And as I've said before, this is the last time for 30 years or so, well, 28 to 30 years, that Saturn is going to get this kind of 
give this kind of feedback to the sun when it's transiting through Aquarius. Mm. So I feel as if whatever lessons about limitations, boundaries, obligations, and things of that nature come up during this period, it's good to work through those things and, you know, take those lessons. I feel like that could, especially for people who are finishing up their Saturn returns, I -hmm. think that this is going to be a good period of reflecting over the lessons you've learned the last three years. So really good point. And even, you know, um, these Kazemis happen once a year, right? Um, During Aquarius, (laughs) for these past couple years, it's been in during Aquarius season. Mm -hmm. So you can also look back um, at these past couple years and see what these Saturn Kazemis have been bringing up for you. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, by the end of the week, we're having a different flavor. So new moon in Pisces. Um, what's interesting is that I think there's about an hour or two that the new moon in Pisces is co-present with Venus and Aries, <clears throat> and then it moves into Aries right after that. So that's really um, interesting. I do feel as if some of these transits through Pisces, especially that new moon so early into Pisces, especially after the sun just finished its conjunction to Saturn and Aquarius. Mm -hmm. I feel as if there's this realization that there are some things you need to let go of, especially if you were checked pretty hard during that Kazemi and Aquarius. Mm -hmm. I, Um, I like that. I, um, yeah, as you mentioned, once Venus goes into Aries, um, Jupiter, I mean, in Jupiter's also in Aries, right? You have both the domicile and exaltation lord of this new moon in Aries. And, um, you know, benefics do tend to bring growth and new things, especially in a sign like Aries. But I think, as you said, I think it's in order to, oftentimes in order to make room for the new, right? You do have to let things go. You do have to realize, like, um, you have to really, really think through, like, yeah, what can you let go of now or um, so that you could make space for these kinds of things? Yeah, and I feel like there's this need for clearing out, closing out, and allowing yourself to be moved by some other experience. I do feel like, as much as I don't like the natural house association with Pisces in the 12th house. I do feel like there is this oceanic vibe and this um, sort of mystical, obscure vibe to Pisces. Mm -hmm. Where we go and we are dissolved by the collective and we let go of all of our assumptions and allow ourselves to be sort of containers or receptacles for new sources of meaning or a greater sense of belonging just also tying in that jupiter piece i you know this this new moon is going to be in very early degrees it's at one degrees pisces Mm -hmm. so it just makes me think a lot of the card that's associated with this first decade of pisces Mm -hmm. that, (laughs) that eight of cups so yeah yeah so i don't know i feel like pal and i discussed this before we started recording but the astrology this month while it's been challenging it's not as earth shattering or dramatic as some of the transits we've experienced you know at the end of 2022 during 2021 and 2020 
And I think the astrology of 2023 is going to get a lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of shifts coming next month. So this is kind of a good winding down, close things out kind of month. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about next month's astrology it, whenever it is that we record. Or I assume we're going to record our next episode sometime next month. Mm -hmm. But yeah. if you can't wait, definitely listen to our um, 2023 forecast because we do talk about March a lot because there's just so much significant transits happening um yeah yeah <clears throat> okay so announcements mm -hmm. so davison workshop 2 is in its final editing stages uh please be patient with us uh both anak and i have really old not reliable tech <laughs> <laughs> so it's just made the process of editing a lot more difficult I am also still going to talk about Davison's at Norwalk. So I look forward to meeting everybody in May. And if you don't know, my books are wide open for February, March, April. I'm going back and forth between closing my books to referrals only or keeping things as they are, uh, just because I know that if I am going through certain changes, I may not have the same availability. Also, I'm just really exhausted as a person. So um, yeah, so we'll see. But for now, my books are open. <clears throat> and my announcement is that um, I'm co-organizing with two other astrologers, Kelly and Elena. Um, they're on Twitter too, um, as Moon Knitter and CF Series. But we are um, co-hosting um, uh, an event called Charts and Crafts, and we it's it's going to be via Zoom, so anyone can join from anywhere. It's going to be on Monday, February twentieth, and um, all of the information is like on my Twitter account, so you all can like go on there and look for it. But um, basically, we're trying to um, we're create a space for people who love astrology and love crafts, <laughs> and you can be whatever level, beginner, immediate, advanced on either of those things, but we um it's gonna be mostly really kind of like this social gathering space where we can talk about both of these things and then and then the intersections too like where does crafting show up in your chart so mm -hmm. i'm very excited about it um these days my my craft of choice is knitting but um <laughs> i do a bunch of other things as well so i'm curious to see um, so far, the last I heard, and this was a few days ago already, there were already 18 RSVPs. So, nice. Yeah, nice. which is like really I need cool. to I need to RSVP for that because I think I need a creative outlet of some kind. So it'll be yes. interesting to see what different people do. Yeah. Oh my god, I love it! I'm excited. Yeah, I've been. I, I, people have been messaging me like saying, "No, oh, I'm coming," and it's been already really cool hearing about the different projects like people are working on. So, um, yeah, we're very, very stoked about this. Um, and we had a lot of fun trying to come up with a name for this group. It's the perfect name, <laughs> honestly. It's a great name. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think that's it for announcements. Um, should we jump into what we're here to talk about? Yes, yeah, Saturn. <laughs> I wow. mean, I feel that I am also just very exhausted of thinking about Saturn, talking about Saturn. I feel like we've had enough. 
at least from a tropical point of view, we've had enough of understanding what Saturn is really about. <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. No, Saturn was my time lord for a good chunk of its time in Aquarius and its time in Capricorn. And <laughs> um, but yes, I, I too am a little bit tired of Saturn, um, which very much tracks with Saturn's nature. <laughs> so um Saturn Joy is in the 12th house, and as with all of the diurnal planets, it rejoices above the horizon, so the 12th house is, yeah, the house just, like, immediately above the horizon, and um, like Mars and the sun, um, they rejoice in these, um, it rejoices in a cadent house, Um you know, I also want to point out too that this um, that Saturn is rejoicing in a house that is um, in aversion to the ascendant. So even though they're right next to each other, the ascendant really technically can't see the twelfth house and vice versa. And um, one thing I really like to point out, um, you know, for folks who don't really fully understand this concept, is. Um, <coughs> I really like to think about the houses in general as like think think about where the sun is at the time um, that um, or yeah think think about like the time of day where the sun is in that house and I used to do um, like morning walks like right after waking up like at around like seven ish and um, at the time I was living in Hawaii and whenever I would do those walks the sun was in the 12th house and was just always always blinding me and I just like hated it so much and always be like why didn't I wake up earlier why didn't I do this it's a little bit later but anyway yes yeah, so that's that's sun in the 12th house but um you know for the the, the 12th house was called Kakos Daimon which is bad spirit and if you have been listening to these episodes in um, sequential order, we've been talking a lot about the concept of like bad spirit, good spirit versus um, bad fortune and good fortune. So in this last episode on the 11th house, um, the 11th house is good spirit, whereas the 12th house is bad spirit. And um, and we also talked in that last episode, like I, I was talking about how I... Um, if the 11th house is kind of considered like your guardian angel, I think um, in some ways the 12th house could be like that little, like, you know, when you see that like angel and devil on your shoulder, like, you know, in, in old cartoons or old movies, I kind of see it like that. Um, another th way that these two houses are described in, um, in opposition to each other is that the 11th house is often like our blessings, whereas the 12th house is very often described as the house of self undoing. So I think oh, that's, like, yeah. I don't know if you want to add anything to that or if you do, I mean, that could be also just good transition to the meanings of this house. I, I, you know what? I think about the 12th house and it's foil to the sixth house a lot, kind of like we did with Jupiter compared to Venus mm -hmm. in the previous episode. I really am starting to appreciate how immaterial, abstract the concepts of the top half of the chart are, as opposed to, you know, the topics that are captured by the houses on the bottom half of the chart. <coughs> and the thing is, um, something that I feel that was very constructive that came out of the unfortunate discourse on, you know, the preferred house topics, if you will, is that yes, while the planetary joys do bring 
meaning to the houses that are not represented by the different pivots or the angles. You know, there's certain elements of that movement of diurnal rotation that do give the 12th house a lot of its meaning. So the way you have to think about it is the 12th house or the cadent house represents something that happened in the past or something that happened prior to the topic that's occupying the angular house. Um, the angle itself is kind of the present, what's going on, what is currently active right now. And the succeeding house are, you know, the things to come, right? The things that will follow the angle. <clears throat> and so one thing that comes up a lot is events that happened prior to birth uh, for the 12th house. And sometimes there are some difficult things that in it, how do I put this inform how you move as a person that you're not conscious of and I do find that the 12th house does capture those things um what's interesting is with Saturn's joy here and I know in the Vedic tradition Saturn is a planet of karma and karma I think is something that's misunderstood a lot in the west karma is more of this so think of it like a balance or um, like a series of debts you have to pay. Um, and it's something you want to burn as you are reincarnated into different lives. So you don't have to keep repeating lives to burn off karma, right? <clears throat> or think of it like burning calories or something. Like you ate too much and now you're in a calorie surplus and you have to use that energy, right? So you have to burn it. You have to think mm. of it like and I think it's funny that Saturn being the planet of karma in the Vedic tradition has its joy in the 12th. Um, even though in the Vedic tradition, the 12th house is more about, you know, achieving that sort of liberation from this cycle of death, rebirth, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense because <clears throat> there are these things that are informing how you move through the world that you're not conscious of because whether you believe in reincarnation or whether you are, you know, really seeing how the events or circumstances prior to your birth, so your parents um, meeting each other, what your ancestors were doing, distant ancestors were doing, right? All of that is informing how you move through the world. And I feel like Saturn rejoicing here is just really, really symbolic of these sorts of unspoken or invisible but binding things that kind of limit how you interact with the world um yeah yeah i think um you know when you're talking about the contract <laughs> and the sixth um and seeing that the 12th is like these misfortunes in an abstract way versus when we're you know when we're talking about mars destroying the sixth house in that episode um it's a lot of more of these like tangible misfortunes are um, associated with sixth house, like illness and injuries and accidents. And um, yeah, I think we'll dive a little bit more into the, just the kind of misfortunes that um, you could see in the 12th house. But I think that was like a pretty good um, start. Yeah. Um, something that I also think about is I remember we were talking about, I guess in the Venus and moon joy episodes, <clears throat> that um there's that association with the earth triplicity due to the fact that those two joys flank that pivot that was associated with earth 
Mm. The rising <clears throat> pivot or the ascendant is associated with the air element, right? And so what's interesting is that, you know, the two main triplicity lords of the of the air signs are Mercury and Saturn, respectively, right? Yeah. And I think it's like there's this sort of air. I know Saturn is a very concrete planet, but there's also this airiness to Saturn. And I feel like that's very well captured by its joy in the 12th and its association with that pivot. Yes. Um, and it's so time in Aquarius, of, or it's Domicile in Aquarius. Yes. And there's so much of you know, this identity or this um, egoic experience, which I do think to some extent is captured by the ascendant that is constructed by these unspoken rules or principles by which, you know, the world is working. And I do feel like maybe some of the bad daimon of Saturn in the 12th is speaking to that. Mm. Um, and it speaks to that sort of self-inflicted um, misfortune as well just because of that proximity to the ascendant good point <laughs> thank you for pointing out that out about the air triplicity i like completely forgot about that because we did talk about that pretty heavily with the moon and venus um example mm -hmm. but um yeah it's <laughs> it's like Saturn, like the airiness of Saturn just makes me think, you know, it's it's Saturn Aquarius that's like fixed air versus, um, you mm -hmm. know, I don't think it's coincidence that Mercury only um, are only domiciles in mutable signs. Um, yeah. And so this, and so Gemini versus like Aquarius, like this, the, um, the contrast, but also the similarities between those two signs is what kind of like I think about when I think about the, that air triplicity. Yeah, no, I love that you bring up the Aquarius piece. And I think people struggle to understand fixed air. Um, largely because there's this misconception that everything about the human experience is arbitrary just because it's socially constructed, right? Mm -hmm. But if we all agree to certain rules but also if there's a tendency for people to form certain kinds of rules because it's the only way that engaging with other people is possible and makes sense i do feel like that's a saturnian principle as opposed to i don't really think it's jupiter i don't think it's venus um because they're not so much about restrictions and rules right mm -hmm. um they're more so the lubrication that allows for um they're more so the rewards of adhering to those sorts of rules and structure. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that. And I think that could apply to, that can be applied to um, both malefics in some ways too. Cause we did talk heavily in the sixth house episode too, how, um, you know, with Mars and his joy, the sixth house um, and the third house as well could also be associated with um, you know, like a workout regimen or just like a various mm -hmm. other kinds of regimens out there. And so I think like, I, I feel like, yeah, Saturn can very much be like a lot of those rules and um, and just the time that you have to put in to mm -hmm. get those rewards. Um, whereas Mars can also just be some of those regimens and the, that, and the hard work that have, you have to put in. Right. And there's more of this acute nature to 
the problems of the sixth house and because they're not things that are inflicted by you but inflicted by others there's an ability to respond to that in a more tangible way yeah i um, am in a 12th house perfection year but my solar return ascendant has been in my sixth house <laughs> it, has, <laughs> it has been a year of both acute and abstract issues <laughs> Okay. Yeah, let's, you want to talk about the 12th house meanings? So, I mean, I feel like it goes without saying, um, isolation, (laughs) (laughs) confinement, imprisonment, um, Saturn does represent a lot of those things as we'll see in, um, the description that Valens gives. But something that I feel gets overlooked is, these other connotations of the 12th house. So something that I realized when I did a, um, what was I doing? So back in December, I worked an event and I probably read maybe 150 charts in like four hours. It was insane. But something that came up a lot was there were lots of people who had 12th house placements, prominent 12th house placements. So a luminary chart ruler, midheaven ruler, 10th whole sign house ruler and this was true in quadrant or whole sign just by eyeballing where the midheaven was right Mm -hmm. and these people a lot of them were quite literally foreigners because they were from somewhere else and they now live in toronto and yeah and just exploring that concept was really interesting i was like um you don't seem like you are struggling necessarily, but so much of your life does involve the concept of living in a place that you're not from and mm-hmm. building a life around that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking of that relationship between the opposition between the sun and Saturn and the things that they represent. You know, the sun is that sort of center of the universe if you will right i mean quite literally we revolve around the sun whereas in terms of what's visible to the naked eye saturn is you know saturn is the furthest thing and there's this connotation of distance that is inherent to saturn as a planet Mm -hmm. um, being on the margins so foreignness is kind of implied there Mm-hmm. Um, also large and wild animals has also been a thing as opposed to the smaller animals that are easy to control. Yes. And those house. smaller animals are represented by the sixth house. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, are like, um, yeah, I think large animals would obviously it would be like horses and, um, a lot of these, like, like the farm animals, right. is like what would come to mind. I mean, um, horses. I mean, I think... I need to double check, but I think that um, Steve Irwin was having a major transit either to his 12th house lord or in his 12th house when he was killed by a stingray. I mean, it was crazy. So it's just like, you know, these sorts of animals that, you know, kind of like the beasts of burden, like saying, so horses, cattle, things like that, but also just animals that you wouldn't necessarily encounter in a regular context so you know a vulture as opposed to um a, cat. a pigeon or a cat or a squirrel right so <laughs> <laughs> i uh, 
um you know going back to the 12th house being isolation and um and the 12th house is like proximity to the ascendant but still being very much like in aversion to the ascendant um mm-hmm. i i think a lot of us got really really familiar with the concept of isolation um since the oh, pandemic yeah. had hit right mm-hmm. and i think i don't i mean for me I, I was living alone um for the first time and um hawaii had gone through like off the top i had at least two periods of um of um oh my god i don't know i'm like in the term like of mandatory like quarantines like the, the state was just like no one can leave their house and yeah and i remember like those being really really rough times because i felt like like it seems very paradoxical and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time articulating this, but I, I think it really does have to do in some sense with the first house and the 12th house being t- right next to each other, but also very mm-hmm. much a version that like, I think one of the things that's the scariest about isolation is really, really being confronted with who you really are for the first yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing is also just borrowing from, sort of the Vedic conception of how they see houses relating to each other. Any house that is the adjacent house, so the second house from a house, is sort of um, feeding or fueling whatever that house topic is. So for example, second house are the things that sustain you. So food, money, right? Mm -hmm. But you, (laughs) contributing to your own... (laughs) (laughs) you do it to yourself basically um which is really funny to think about um we really do it to to ourselves like no you're right i think that for better or worse uh 2020 through 2021 and maybe the first two months of 2022 since i know omicron really forced a lot of us back into a semi-lockdown was really a master class in being confronted with reality the reality of who you are and maybe even the sort of arbitrary nature of who you are yeah um uh yeah and that was not an enjoyable experience (laughs) it was not um yeah but one thing i will say is also remembering I feel like now in a modern sense, but also this is captured in the Vedic system as well. The 12th house is a house that can be very spiritual and liberating in a way. So I think that sometimes when you're alone and you're not having these things feed this sense of self that you spend a lot of time constructing, Mm -hmm. I think that being alone or being in these sorts of places of isolation, um, can really, you know, be useful for undoing some of the uh, things that you may have unconsciously absorbed. So um, sometimes that there's power in isolating yourself from situations, people, and things that can facilitate healing, right? Yeah. yeah. So hospitals, um, you know, convents, um, ashrams, uh, retreats. <laughs> retreats yeah um so those are um 
I think also the concept of seeking refuge, because again, another reason why a lot of people choose to become foreigners in a place is because they're seeking refuge from something, mm -hmm. right? And so I feel as if that could be a positive um, manifestation of the 12 in that you are separating yourself from difficulty, maybe to protect from falling into certain uh, cycles, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah i um I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that like yes I, I there are really really rough parts about isolation especially if it's not something you choose but there are numerous um instances and examples of why someone would really want to lean into <laughs> choose isolation and i do think all those things fit in the 12th house like i think those are all really good examples i think um it's very loud that every time you go through a 12th house perfection year, you're also, you tend to also go through a Jupiter return. <laughs> um, and so um, I think that kind of also can speak to some of like, oh, maybe some of the, like some of the best remediation for both this Jupiter um, return as well as your 12th house year could be really, really leaning into some of that isolation. Like for, and it doesn't have to, it could, I mean, you know, hey, if you want to do like a silent meditation retreat, like go for it. Um, you could do those kinds of things. But for me, being in a 12th house year and in my Jupiter return, I have even just a simple act of once a week like taking myself out on a date and turning off my phone like putting it on do not disturb mode and just like for a few hours once a week just disappearing like wherever and doing whatever the fuck i want um I, th that's been really really great 12th house remediation and i feel like really like fits into um the meanings of this house yes no i definitely agree with you um, so yeah, uh, I will read a little bit about what Valens says about Saturn, but also the 12th. Yes. <laughs> I love this description. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> it's just funnier when, um, Chris Brennan reads it since he's also very Saturnian, yeah. but also very martial as a person. So it's just, it just hits better. So, you know, in my best saturn in the first house way i'll try to do saturn justice i guess um <laughs> saturn makes those born under him petty <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we've been seeing a lot of that in the astro community yes. and that's all i gotta say about that it's just so funny <laughs> um malignant careworn self-deprecating solitary deceitful secretive in their trickery strict downcast with a hypocritical air squalid black clad importunate sad looking <laughs> miserable with a nautical bent plying waterside trades remember the boundary between um land and sea was like going to space right now we just send billionaires to space i mean look at jeff bezos capricorn son right <laughs> um i feel like he has saturn in either capricorn or aquarius like i think it's an aquarius actually um now he wants to go to space and things right so that that's funny to think about um 
Saturn also causes humblings, sluggishness, unemployment, obstacles in business, interminable lawsuits, subversion of business, secrets, imprisonment, <laughs> chains, griefs, accusations, tears, bereavement, capture, exposures of children. Saturn makes serfs and farmers because of its rule over the land, and it causes men to be renters of property, tax farmers, and violent in action. It puts into one's hands... Um, what did I want to say? It puts into one's hands great ranks and distinguished positions, supervisions, management of others' property, and the fathership of others' children. Of materials, it rules lead, wood, and stone. Of limbs, of the body, it rules the legs, the knees, the tendons, the lymph, the phlegm, the bladder, the kidneys, and the internal hidden organs. Saturn is indicative of injuries arising from cold and moisture, such as dropsy, neuralgia, gout, cough, dysentery, hernia spasms. It is indicative of these syndromes. Possession, I don't agree with homosexuality. Um, that's like totally wrong, but whatever. Um, depravity. Saturn makes bachelors and widows bereavements and childlessness it causes violent deaths by water strangulation imprisonment or dysentery it causes falling on the face it is the star of nemesis it is of the day sect it is like castor in color and astringent in taste and what valen says on the 12th is if malefics happen to be in this place they will cause great wounds and traumas especially if they are in their proper face meaning that if especially if a malefic is in its own sign and in its own decan. It's very empowered to do some damage, right? If the lot of fortune is present in this place and some star rules it, there will be no help, not even during transits. <clears throat> they have become enemies from the beginning, from the moment of birth. In the same way, benefics found in this place will not bestow their benefits. Whenever these three stars fall in the sign, the rulers of the ascendant of the lot of fortune and the lot of spirit, they make men unfortunate and disgraced and those lacking in their daily bread. Many will hold out their hands for alms. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with Valens in the sense that, yes, like the lot being in the 12th is not necessarily the most operative place for the lot, but I do find that when the lot of fortune or spirit does fall in the 12th, I think the people who own those placements do tend to become more comfortable with the concept. I don't know if you've um, noticed that as well. Um, not not off the top of my head. I can't I can't really think of a chart that I've seen. Um, I haven't looked too much at the lots. Um, in the twelfth. Um, but we have many examples of people with Saturn in the twelfth, and awesome. I don't think all of them are you know holding out their hands for arms. So. No, and if anything, some of these people have actually been able to avoid accountability for things that they do which is interesting but i think that that speaks to the ability to maybe be a bit sneaky um get under the radar or yeah be a bit clever do you want to move into our aries chart examples yes so um saturn in aries in the 12th so these are people who are taurus risings and the saturn rules their ninth and their tenth house um <laughs> I I want to start with um, one of my, my first example is Roger Ravel, who was the founder of my alma mater, UC San Diego. And I put him on here because mm -hmm. this asshole, <laughs> 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 um, the, like, 
The original plan was to build UC San Diego one in actual San Diego and two in downtown where like, you know, the bulk of San Diego County will be able to have like central access to this campus. But no, this rich man, this like lived in La Jolla, um, which is on the coast, but really kind of far out there. It's it's one of the wealthiest communities in the world. And Mm -hmm wanted to build UCSD out there because he wanted to live closer to the you know this university he was founding and going like anyone who goes to UCSD knows how literally isolating that campus is because (laughs) unless you have a car um, I didn't have a car in the five years that I attended there and it's just there's nothing around there you're in this like really really bougie community like all the best parties are 45 minutes away at San Diego State University (laughs) so that was one of my examples um my other examples literal though because it's quite literally he built a building and you know saturn and aries is in a place that doesn't make sense because it's saturn and fall just because he could right (laughs) exactly and um yeah and then if you all ever visit that campus especially the older parts of it that roger Ravel himself built including the college that's named after him there um, the you know it's it's got like many campuses has the brutalist architecture but I feel like UCSD went really really hard on it like oh, no. those, there are sections of that older part of campus that make you look like you feel like you're walking through like Isengard in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels very very Saturn and Aries for sure, and I think it just it reflects <laughs> its founder. Horrible. Yeah. Um, my next example is our first U.S. president, George Washington, had Saturn and Aries. And um, yeah, you know, George Washington was, uh, you know, obviously, other than being our very first president, what he really excelled at and was like known for was being a really excellent general in the Revolutionary War. And um I think in a lot of ways, like, was made, you know, president, not so much for his, like, political prowess, but more because he, he had become this symbol um, and was really, like, a wartime hero, right? Um, which actually, there's, 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 a number, there's a number of U.S. presidents who kind of follow that pattern. But um, to me, that really fits um, the Aries in particular. And then not to mention, I mean, when, when we're talking about descent, like, getting away with things, right? Like... Um, <laughs> Like all of our founding fathers, definitely a slaveholder, definitely like, um, you know, set the like on one hand, like, okay, we're fine founding this country that talks about liberty and freedom for all, but not really for all, <laughs> definitely not for black people and Native <laughs> Americans and what have you, and women, and you know, so no, I mean, let's unpack that for a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, George Washington is as literal as you can get, right? Because quite literally he founded a new nation or was instrumental in founding a new nation. He was leader of said nation. Right. Um, And, you know, it was staged as a sort of rebellion against monarchy, but it wasn't necessarily in favor of the common man because even not every person could vote even right. If you were not a wealthy landowning white man, you couldn't vote. (laughs) but yet his legacy is being sort of one of the faces of our democracy and 
you know what's interesting? You'll actually see an interesting trend of having U.S. presidents who have Saturn in the 12th. Yes, we have many examples. <laughs> many U.S. president. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm excited to jump into it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my example was actually Mariah Carey. And she has her, so her chart ruler is actually conjunct Saturn uh, in Aries 3. And I do think this speaks to her maybe difficult reputation. She does have a reputation for being a diva and being difficult. Mm -hmm. But I do also feel that it speaks to maybe the double-edged sword of being hyper-visible, right? So she was one of the first, you know, biracial people who is very um, mainstream, right? And I know that she's struggled with the control of her image. I know that later in life, she's talked about that period in the late nineties around the time when she would have had her Saturn return where she was moving away from that sort of whitewashed image of herself that her manager and then husband, um, Tony Matola had crafted for her. Mm. She was kind of um, rebelling in that way. I also feel that, you know, the Saturn in the 12th, you know, in fall conjunct her also not happy chart ruler speaks to, you know, her struggle with mental illness. And, you know, there was a time, I want to say during her opening Saturn square uh, in the early 2000s, where she basically had a mental breakdown mm -hmm. and she was later diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder. Um, what's interesting is that I think Mariah is also weirdly spiritual as well. And she kind of you know, uses that to cope with the issues of being hyper visible. And, you know, people make a lot of assumptions about how she is just because she's confident. I mean, she's an Aries sun in the 12th as well, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's basically one of those famous, a hell of a drug type deals, right? Mm -hmm. and it can really, um, like ruin you sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, you know, even though she, you know, she doesn't really come out with new music anymore, and um, she's still very, very hyper visible for someone who, you know, who, who, like, as far as her music career went, like, she got really, really big in the '90s, and then, mm -hmm. you know, had some of a resurgence in the 2000s. Um, yeah. Lately, a lot of her. Um, her time in the spotlight has had been had been around, you know, her marriage um, her, and the children yeah. she had with Nick Cannon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, and that there's a lot of discourse now about Nick Cannon and just like how many children he's had. Yeah, and just like it's I, ridiculous. Care of them. I know, I know. Nick, does he have a confirmed birth time? I've never. He does. He does. He does. Um, he is. I think he has. Jupiter's doing something to his fifth house. I don't remember. I think he has a Jupiter in Libra. Mm. Jupiter in Libra in the fifth. That's what it is. Got it. Got yeah. It. And I think it was during... <clears throat> he was having some transit around the time he married her. Um, where i think it was his saturn return i don't remember i don't remember if he's got saturn in libra as well but it was around his saturn return when mariah basically made him a father for the first time and then he's just been having kids ever since <laughs> yeah <God>. yeah <laughs> right anyway 
This is not about Nick Cannon. This is about Mariah. But yes, I think um, I think you summed it up pretty well. That Saturn, um, and and yeah, you said she also has Venus and Sun. Venus and Sun, yep, in the twelfth. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. never relation to Taurus rising. Hmm. Yeah, she's a Taurus very rising. Very much um, Okay, we only have one Taurus um, Saturn example, and that's another U.S. president, Rutherford B. Hayes. And I am already going to throw the caveat out there that I am not going to waste my time trying to like read full biographies of all these forgettable U.S. presidents. Rutherford B. Hayes is one of them, but. From the brief, so I'm sure there's all these other things he did that are very, very like um, Saturn in its joy. But the ones that uh, like stood out for me just from a brief read are um, this is going to come up, come up in other examples because I think we have numerous examples, and he's one of them of presidents who lost the popular vote but somehow inched their way into mm. <laughs> um, victory. In his case, he did not win the electoral either. Neither candidate did, and. Um, I guess um, maybe this still is the case now, but um, according to the U.S. Constitution at the time, if no candidate wins the Electoral College, then it's the House of Representatives that has to select the new president. And he won by one vote. (laughs) Wow. Okay. You know what? We need to look at the transits of that election because... (laughs) Yes, I, I feel like we are headed towards some similar type of fuckery where we have to go back to some weird technicality in the Constitution to break the tie, essentially. Yeah. No, I'll look it up. I'll look it up as I saw and as I this. But um, look, none of you all remember who Rutherford B. Hayes is. I don't remember. Like, I, I challenge you all to think right now, What in what time period do you think he was president? Like, none of you all will probably remember. But... Um. <laughs> Late 1800s is when he was president. Um, honestly, yeah, he wasn't really known for much other than that. Um, I will point out one thing that happened during his term was that he was president during the Great Railroad Strike of 1877, which he um, dealt with by calling in the U.S. Army. And this um, is still deadliest conflict between workers and strike breakers in American history very very fucked up that he and unfortunately we gloss over his presidency exactly exactly okay <laughs> yep so that's our saturn taurus example oh okay so gemini saturn i am probably going to focus on my last three because i think the last three were mine i don't remember it's been a while so joni mitchell's was quite literal so for those of you who don't know she's a well-respected folk singer songwriter um i didn't know she was originally canadian but the more you know (laughs) um so it's the ruler of her so it's in gemini 3 conjunct mars and because she's a cancer rising mars rules her fifth house but also her 10th and i think the first man she was with she got pregnant by um when she moved out to western canada to become a folk singer but she couldn't she didn't she wasn't with that man anymore and she didn't have the means to you know sustain being a mother but also doing her art so she gave her child up for adoption and it was that experience of you know making that choice to not keep your child that did further a lot of her singer songwriting mm-hmm. um i also feel like the gemini 3 saturn conjunct mars speaks to her 
maybe disdain or dislike of the music industry at the time and its songwriting practice and her commitment to writing her own songs, even if it othered her in some way. Obviously, it paid off because people do respect her as a great lyricist and folk singer. So there is that. And I also feel like the folkiness, because, you know, she got popular during, you know, that time in the 60s when, you know, all those transits in Virgo were happening and everyone was like all into the counterculture and shit, right? Mm -hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Another person who's really funny, so for those of you who watch what is it? Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Erica Jane <laughs> has her um, Saturn in the first decade of Gemini, and hers is quite a literal manifestation. So it's believed that she and her husband only divorce so they can evade taxes, and they're in trouble with the law for it. Um, I think that's quite literally them trying to stage like a conflict so they could hide assets. Um, which is really funny. Um, my third example is Ben Affleck, who has mm -hmm. a Gemini 2 um, Saturn. I mean, just hearing how he described, or he essentially blamed um, Jennifer Garner for his drinking problems was insane. Um, and how he's been able to rebrand by marrying J-Lo again is kind of interesting especially because people do speculate on the timing of the start of his relationship with jennifer garner and the ending of his relationship with j-lo because he was filming um daredevil at the time that was one of the films he was filming um and it's interesting how right after they called off their engagement he's like seen with jennifer garner i just think it's also interesting that he's basically been going back and forth between the jennifers for much of his adult life and everybody's just okay with it <laughs> i yeah and then like a lot of the recent talk about him and j-lo has like I, I don't know if you've seen these tweets it's awful like but people just like kind of really pointing out videos of their interactions with each other and like really trying to like read into it as j-lo is this like really um naggy controlling partner and um and i like that there are people in the replies who are like why are people forgetting he's an alcoholic and uh, you know why are, why, are, why, why constantly like um again it goes back to just this like being let off the hook on um, this like saturn yes boy, like, and, his, and his partner is being blamed for his um you know, shortcomings as a person. Uh, another thing I also think about is all the weird suggestions about infidelity during his marriage. I know that uh, Jennifer Garner as well was made out to be this controlling person because it was suggested that he may have had a thing with, what was it, Blake Lively on whatever film they were on. And there was just iffiness, right? <laughs> it's like, it's always just make the partner look bad, right? So you don't have to be accountable. So exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. And then just the fact that that's Saturn um, and it, the 12th rules, that's 7th house too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. My my example for Gemini Saturn was Robert De Niro, and I think it's just um, simply because of the kind of roles he plays tend to really yeah. fit. That's um, 12th house Saturn. Um, 
you know, the Godfather, of course, and um, even the Irishman most recently. Um, yeah. even, his, even his comedy. It's just so funny. Like, when you know, in, in, um, in Meet the Parents, you know, he plays what? this, like, controlling father who's secretly a CIA agent, <laughs> a retired one. But. Yeah, and who's secretly using his, you know, intel and skills to either undermine the relationship or control his daughter's relationship. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah um actually, i actually don't know about robert de niro's like personal life too much but yeah i did think i mean his I, are very loud i know that he and his wife of long a long time recently did divorce oh. i think i think either 2019 or 2020 i want to say they split but they were together for a long time i, I haven't heard anything but Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. He was married to an um another actress um since like mm-hmm. '97. Wow, pretty. They had a good run, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Cancer Saturn. <laughs> two so two examples we have. Yep, both presidents. Um, both. You know what? I find George Bush's George W. Bush so Bush forty three, uh, to be quite literal because Saturn is again ruling the seventh house of partner. And in particular, I think of his running mate, um, Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney um, basically orchestrating a lot of the, um, Dick Cheney as well as certain members of the executive branch because Saturn also rules the sixth house as well. And those people are technically subordinates of the head of the executive branch, which is the president, right? Mm-hmm. and just like him kind of not doing enough to counter that sort of narrative that these people put out about the weapons of mass destruction that led us to engaging in you know the follow-up to the gulf wars which is the ongoing conflict we have with various nations in the middle east isn't that isn't it funny how that works? Also, Saturn traditionally rules oil, right? Mm. And because it's in that third decan of Cancer, which is both Moon and Jupiter, I think of value. I also think of oil, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. To recap, um, George W. Bush has a lot of planets in their joy. And so yeah. he was an example for multiple episodes. Yeah, and he listened. That I would say, even though he doesn't have a lot going on in terms of planets and domicile, I think by virtue of having so many planets and joy, he just coasted through life, essentially. Yeah, truly. And then just the fact that even like now he's somehow gotten this like opportunity to just kind of rewrite his narrative and like yeah he's like a he's like a painting grandpa now yeah he's painting grandpa now and people keep saying he's like oh this is nothing compared to trump like it's just like the most awful discourse (laughs) this is the The worst bar is in hell (laughs) hell. (laughs) the bar really truly is in hell Oh my god! In that same memoir, he said that the worst part of like his president, the the, the biggest, the the lowest low of his presidential career was Kanye calling him a racist. <laughs> 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 
iconic. I love it. I love it. It, it, it hurt. It hurt. It hurt his poor cancer feelings. <laughs> Truly, I can't. I love it. Um. Yeah. Trump is the other one, and it's funny because he also has the Cancer three um Saturn, but this is conjunct Venus, which rules his midheaven. Um. So I remember. <laughs> I'm just thinking of that prediction I did where I'm like, I just don't see this guy being president because he had this thing where the midheaven was perfecting to cancer that year, you know, the sign that contains its ruler. And I'm like, it's in the 12th, it's conjunct Saturn, and that's not a happy Saturn. I feel like the shady things he does are going to force him to maybe walk away from his current um position because that's not really giving staying in a position but i do feel that he did get off very easily with some of the shady things he was doing mm -hmm. and i think that again with he had the right sorts of like alliances and i do think that there were some again subordinates which is very much saturn ruling the sixth as well kind of aiding and abetting for him weirdly i think it was also them leaking as well yeah um so and just him leveraging his position to secure all sorts of deals and contracts and um favors uh that being really interesting and the fact that this is also i mean he's he hasn't been president now for like uh, a few years and is like there's still still constantly in the news about just all these various different all these things places. coming up yeah because pluto's been opposing those placements for him um i think that all the mercury retrograde stuff opposing as well like revealing things about his documents even those squares from libra and aries there's always some sort of lawsuit turning point and what's interesting is i think now he is about to start his capricorn perfection later this year and it's funny because you know the ruler of his 10th <laughs> is going retrograde in his first and then jupiter who also rules the eighth is going retrograde in the 10th so i feel like a lot more is about to start coming out if yeah you will. so yeah yeah we haven't heard too much about this presidential run too right because it's like we right yeah. he did it and all i've heard recently is he's slandering um desantis now <laughs> yeah because that's his that he's desantis is gonna get the nomination <laughs> yeah for sure um Moving on to Leo Saturn, my only example is a man named George Washington Adams. This is the son of John Quincy Adams, who was our eighth president, <laughs> and um, which I guess really, really angered his grandfather, John Adams. <laughs> um, like, why wow. did you? Yeah, they, his his grandparents were pissed that he was named after George Washington and not uh, <clears throat> um, John Adams III. Um, but yeah, not not really much known about this guy. I mean, he sadly committed suicide at age 28. But as you can imagine, was very much a big Nepo baby, had like a lot riding on him um, to, you know, get into law, go into politics, just like your father and your grandfather. And he did do those things, I'm sure, because of those connections. Um, did end up serving like at the Massachusetts House of Representatives and in Boston City Co Council. But yeah, sadly, 
commits suicide at 28. But I just mm. wanted to mention him because George Washington was also a Saturn in the 12th. So um, that's comical. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my example is Jack Dorsey, um, ex-CEO and one of the founders of Twitter. Um, one, I feel like the Saturn in Leo speaks to his joy of these weird self-aggrandizing uh, spiritual retreats he likes to go on. Um, but two, I feel like he has done a lot of weird shady stuff. Uh, both with the handling of the company while he was still a shareholder, as well as, you know, during his tenure as CEO. One thing I read in his bio is that in some of the early years of Twitter, weirdly around the time leading up to, as well as during the Arab Spring, which kicked off around 2010, 2011, he would go on all these trips with the State Department. And I'm like, why is nobody talking about this stuff? <laughs> you know, also, there's all this weird um, liaising with government and things to that effect. But I also do feel like the Saturn, because Saturn rules subordinates, it rules the sixth house, the attempts to kind of get him kicked off the board, like that being a longstanding thing. And it took a long time to do, but that being a sort of thing that plagues his career. So he's doing all this like hidden politicking and using the social media platform he helped to build to maybe facilitate some influence, which is interesting, especially if you consider what's happening with Twitter now and he's wrapping up his Saturn opposition, mm. actually. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, even on the, I mean, there's so much to unpack around this, like, um, what's happened politically on Twitter under his um, under his time there um, running the company. But um, it especially stands out to me like his, <laughs> I mean, speaking of another 12th house and Saturn Trump, right? Like just um, his handlings of dealing with Trump's Twitter account, um, especially after January 6th happened and then the eventual like banning of Trump, which, you know, only ended when Elon Musk took over. <laughs> you know what? Actually, the whole process of saturn retrograding this year because saturn would have stationed to an opposition with his um saturn uh was the process of elon acquiring twitter like that was mm -hmm. a whole subplot and i know people have been leaking sorts of texts between him texts between the previous um ceo parag and it's just all looking weirdly shady Another thing I want to point out as well, because Fifth House is also speculation. He's also a big crypto guy, and I know that he's teamed up with Jay-Z to promote these sorts of crypto scams that target low-income people oh. that are meant to teach them about crypto and get them excited about it. And yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's... But no one's really talking about it. They just make fun of him for being a weird hippie. I don't know. Yeah, again, he's just flying under the radar and everything, like getting um, cut some slack for these kinds of things. Yeah. Shall we move on to Saturn and Virgo? Mm hmm. Okay, so these are folks who are Libra rising. So Saturn rules the fourth and the fifth house. Um, do you want to start with one of your examples? So I think it's funny because I think of Princess Anne. So Anne Princess Royal, uh, the second child of Queen Elizabeth and 
uh, Prince Philip. Uh, so Saturn rules her fifth house. And something I noticed about, you know, the children, the Windsor children is none of them except the last one have good marriages, mm. right? They're always like boning other people. What's up with that? <laughs> so she actually had an affair <laughs> with like with the guy who's now her current husband. Um, wow. Yeah. So she cheated on her first husband with the guy that she's now with, which is kind of comical. And that was kind of a whole deal because there was this period in the 90s where you know, both her and Charles are basically being exposed, right, for getting divorced and not being faithful to their spouses. So that that's like kind of a fun, literal thing that I thought of. I also think of the idea that her, you know, fourth house is also like parents. I also just think of the, like, sometimes we forget that Philip is not, even though he's related to the family, he's not, um, he's like not British, right? He's, he's Greek. So, um, and I think of all the weird pathology that that whole lineage inherited because of that weird dynamic where, you know, Liz is the face and he has to give up, you know, his name, his titles, any chance of having authority, which is kind of emasculating, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's been suggested he's had his own infidelity i know people don't like to speculate on that but it has been suggested so mm. that's something that i think you know it runs in the family <laughs> yes um my other example is nancy reagan who has it in the second decade of virgo as well conjunct her jupiter um for some reason i think of all of her weird messaging around different um you know how like first ladies have different causes that they're supposed to be a part of yes i think it's interesting that you know she shows up in you know the anti-drug campaigns i think of the opposition between virgo and pisces mm. and her having a hand in that sort of kind of cleaning up her husband's mess by promoting this like two-faced campaign, right? Yeah. Um, you know, with her just say no campaign. I also feel like it speaks to her inability to really address the AIDS crisis and it's what's interesting is a lot of people are like, "Oh, she's this wonderful first lady," but it's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> not really one thing that is interesting and this will come up in a different example is like there's this weird undercurrent of people with neurodegenerative disease and i know that being a huge cause she undertook later in her life um the other example that comes up is um michael j fox right mm -hmm. so um reagan ronald reagan does you know come down with alzheimer's and she becomes a huge um caregiver of him and she does um promote certain research activities that could be helpful for you know alleviating neurodegenerative disease so that's one thing that she does that's useful but then it's like people forget like she did all this other shady stuff right mm -hmm. also another thing is um you know she had a difficult childhood as well oh. um because there are issues with um parents um and things like that so she had to live with other relatives because of issues with parents 
Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, Nancy Reagan's, um, it, 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 you know, that's when, when she was first lady, there was just so much of the press was very focused on, like, oh, is she, like, the real, like, person in power? Um, you know, how much power yeah. she had exactly. So I find that really interesting. And then, um, you know, there's all the specul- it was speculation at the time and, and later ended up being confirmed that she was consulting with an astrologer <laughs> the entire time. And that, um, you know, what had happened was when um, there was that assassination attempt against Reagan, she hired an astrologer in hopes that they would be able to predict these kinds of attacks in the future and that this astrologer ended up helping them yes with that kind of thing but also elections um for everything from press conferences to debates um i had read something that this astrologer not only um you know during the like the um during election time, like not, or the actual, like the presidential election, not astro- astrological election, but she would elect um, the charts for the debates, um, not just looking at Reagan's um, chart, but also looking at Jimmy Carter's. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, no, I heard about that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like also with her, um, just like also that estrangement of father, because her mom and her mom was an actress, right? And that's mm-hmm. probably why she eventually went on to be an actress as well. But mm-hmm. mom was an actress. Her and her dad like didn't last, and her dad was kind of out of the picture early. Um, but you know, because her mom wanted to pursue these acting roles, she would often leave her with other relatives. And it wasn't until she finally marries like a neurosurgeon guy who gives her that sort of ideal conservative life that she wants and i feel like that's a weird maybe jupiter virgo thing that's a theme that i've noticed there's like this weird longing for that sort of conservative legitimacy i guess and i feel like the saturn being conjunct doesn't help um and i feel like that does inform you know a lot of her choices to maybe influence or kind of be the the face of some of these policies that were meant to make her husband look good so yeah. yeah. Um, my example for Saturn Virgo is Venus Williams. And um, I think we have at least a couple of athletes um, on this list as well, but she's one of them. She's obviously just, you know, one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Um, you could go on and on about just like how well decorated she is. And, um, and I, you know, I like with my other example I'll go into later. I feel like one thing that stands out with um, both of them is just the longevity of their careers, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's a huge feat in pro- professional sports, right? To get to a certain age and still be able to play. Obviously, um, Venus has dealt with her number of injuries and um, whatnot, just like any other athlete, <coughs> but still hanging on strong. Um, I think this is very loud for her liberalizing. Actually, I do want to mention it, but um, yeah, she, I think a lot of people don't realize that you know she did go back to school to study fashion design. So oh. yeah, <laughs> so I wonder, um, you know, with with that Saturn ruling her fourth and her fifth house, like I wonder, you know, when she does eventually retire, like if she'll be pursuing more of that, and we'll get to see more of that, or if it's just something she'll be can't keep quite quiet about, but still just have this like you know some like a passion project that doesn't have to be so um much in the public eye yeah um so my main example is uh 
are, are we on Libra now or am I just like, yeah. okay, brain. So my example is Zara Tyndall. It's funny that she inherited that configuration from her mother, um, Princess Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I think that kind of is loud because it's like, okay, Anne was out here having an affair and cheated on her husband and remarried, right? But, you know, she's a Saturn-Jupiter conjunction because she's born in like 1980, 1981 or something like that. And she's a big horse girl. She's a very decorated horse girl, actually. So she's an equestrian. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's very hilarious. Um, so, yeah, large animals. Who knew? Oh, <laughs> Who knew? I love it. <laughs> My, um, I, I have two examples for this. My first one's John Gadbury, the, you know, for the <laughs> astrologers out there, you might think that name's familiar. It's because he was a, an astrologer too, um, and a student of William Lilly. And so, um, you'll probably see his names pop up if you are studying horary or other forms of astrology, but he, well, you know, on top of being known as an astrologer, he got he was imprisoned at least twice um, and was constantly getting in trouble with the law because of trying to plot against the monarchy. <laughs> um, yeah, so that um, that stands out to me. I guess he converted to Catholicism, which is was a big deal in England at the time. Just like a quick history recap, but you know, England had. Um, broken from the Catholic church when King Henry VIII decided that he wanted to create his own church so that he could get married as many times as he wants to. Um, But yeah, that's my, (laughs) that's John Gadbury. And then my last example is Camille Claudel. So she was a sculptor who um, was a longtime lover, but also student and fellow artist of Auguste Rodin. So Auguste Rodin was known for the statue of the thinker. And um, it's, you know, it posthumously been found that Camille, it's very, very likely Camille Claudel um, either assisted with or maybe full-on did a lot of the statues that are accredited to Rodin um, because, you know, patriarchy. Wow. Um, yeah. So that is so messed up. It's super messed up. I'm glad this stuff's at least starting to come to light now, but sadly it did not at her time. Um, she was obviously a very, very talented sculptor, but being a woman at that time just really struggled to be able to make that name on her own. Um had this on and off again affair with Rodin that was like really tumultuous. And then um, sadly her life ended with her being instituted um, against her will in a mental institution because of her Mm -hmm. brother and her mom um, basically saying like, you know, accusing her of just, you know, like many women, brilliant women at the time being accused of like insanity. Um, so very, very tragic, sad life, sadly. Um, but yeah, the imprisonment being very 12th house, like very literal to the 12th house, as well as um, in her case, yeah, not getting, not flying under the radar, but in like in a way where um, she should have been gotten public credit for the work that she was doing. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so we are going to do Scorpio. I think both of these examples are mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of these is going to be very familiar to anybody who's an astrologer. So Dane Rudyard. Um, what's interesting is, um, I guess, in that transition into his um, 
first house perfection year from the 12th house perfection where that Saturn would be. He actually had a severe illness and injury, which forced him to become more focused on his intellectual pursuits as opposed to um, physical ones. Um, I also just think of, you know, his writings of, and his inspiration in drawing on different cultures outside of the Western purview. So he got really into, you know, Japanese um, forms of spirituality. He got really into, um, you know, Indian forms of spiritualism and astrology as well. And one thing I think of quite literally is, you know, he changed his name <laughs> to sound more Indian because, you know, he's actually of French descent, right? So it that's... um really interesting and i think oh that God. you know i didn't know what, that i didn't know his yeah. real name i'm looking it up now his real name is daniel yeah. chenevier oh my god yeah no he just wanted to emulate the god rudra essentially so mm. yeah um i mean there's a little bit of an uh maybe like a not necessarily like appropriative but kind of mm -hmm. <laughs> Thing going on um but no he's very influential in psychology the psychological aspects of astrology which are still you know permeating to this day um i couldn't find anything in his bio that was overtly like he's evading accountability but i do think that um the saturn in the 12th describing that sort of early life experience um making it difficult for him to like show up in the world and move through the world um and that informing you know the sorts of skill sets he developed and you know he's probably someone who was sampling from different cultures and foreign peoples and writing a lots of lots of influential works about them um the other example i have is actually oprah mm. and um for her uh, I think it speaks to, you know, the sorts of early childhood experiences of being othered because of poverty, but also race, right? So um, she grew up really poor, um, and a lot of her family members or people around her were, you know, servants to some of the richer white and sometimes black people that she would go to school with. Something that I think about is... Um, she did really well in one of those upward bound affirmative action programs, which allowed her to um, go to a more affluent um, high school. I think of third house as more of that early schooling. And she talks about how she was reminded of being poorer when she would go to the school. Um, another thing is she did steal money from her mother um, in order to keep up with her peers and things of that nature. So that's an interesting um, side effect of, you know, some of the poverty that she experienced, which is like interesting because a lot of people forget that, you know, the Oprah we see now is different from the Oprah of then, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Those are good examples. Um, Sagittarius Saturn. <laughs> Um, these are cap risings. So with that Saturn ruling the first and the second, my first example is El Chapo. This one's very, very literal. He escaped prison twice. The reason why he was prison in the first place was being one of the biggest drug lords ever. <laughs> so just the fact that he's running this complete like underground like black market operation, um, you know, as leader of the Sinaloa cartel, 
the escaping prison twice too is just like oh come on <laughs> like very very loud um yeah <laughs> i'm excited about your examples oh my goodness so uh one of my examples is um which one do i want to do first megan fox <sighs> Uh, so, I mean, with her chart ruler being in the first deck of Sagittarius, there is this sort of, I feel like people have this mm -hmm. sort of very intense reaction to her, for better or worse, right? Um, she's a very polarizing figure. Um, and I think of a lot of her themes around being this edgy sort of self-undoing figure something that i'm thinking a lot about now because i'm just realizing she's about to have her opening saturn square like asap right um you know like and people are speculating right now that she's so she's i don't know if you saw her instagram today but oh, um, i did yes <laughs> You know, like, I think it was three in the morning when she posted this because I happened to be up and I was scrolling Instagram and she like posted um, like a quote from um, Pray You Catch Me um, from Lemonade and deleted all of her photos with MGK. Um, she's also been posting a lot of cryptic stuff about, um, you know, maybe like being abused or injured or self-harmed in some way so i don't know if it's a cry for help i don't know if there's something going on but i feel like she's constantly in these really intense situations that are not good for her um i mean she's a resilient person don't get me wrong but um i also think of her you know interest in the occult and you know um astrology and things because that also shows up for her as well so i'm just like what is going on with you oh <laughs> what is my going god on with you? well um, she is she is in a first house perfection year perfecting from the ascendant um uh, which is activating oh, that saturn oh, actually so, um, okay yeah and this is um you know, this is the first, right? Because she's she's cap rising. So even when she mm -hmm. um even when she enters her second house, perfection she's year still May, gonna... she's still gonna deal with Saturn and it's gonna be Saturn and Pisces this time. So mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah, I the recent news has been I saw those posts, um and you know it's been it's been like I mean this is I think has been the biggest thing in a bit, but I've been seeing tweet after tweet for like the past like several weeks now of like, you know, like Machine Gun Kelly like told the media, right? Like the, he told the whole public that they got into a fight or something mm -hmm. and he was on the phone with her and put a gun to his mouth, right? It's like, okay, this is definitely not a healthy relationship. Um, but I, I, you know, some of the posts I was seeing, some of the speculation around even just her post today is that, um, you know, just some rumors around um, him cheating on her. Yes, I've seen that. And so I'm just, yeah, it's iffy. Uh, my other example is Mary Tudor, Queen Mary, you know, Bloody Mary. Um, I think of her dogmatic commitment to Catholicism because you have to remember that um, she's the daughter of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon, his first wife. And there was a time where she was exiled after her father and mother divorced. And there was some weirdness with the line of succession because their 
and she was declared um, illegitimate at one point and stripped of her rights to succession. Obviously, that was reversed. But one thing I do think of is her rigid rigidity and commitment to forcing England back into this sort of Catholicism. Because you have to remember that basically her father broke up with the church, the Catholic church, because he wanted to marry Anne Boleyn. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I think, you know, she was someone who's lived in exile. I know that she, wasn't she temporarily queen of France for a hot minute? Um, mm -hmm. Or am I like yeah. yep. confusing her for another person? So like, um, yeah. So I just think a lot of that. I also think of the sort of self-undoing that is very characteristic of her um, her reign, essentially. She kind of destroyed her own legacy and basically paved the way for Elizabeth to take over. And what's funny is they both have the same ascendant. They're both Capricorn risings. Um, mm. But I think Elizabeth was... Cancer Saturn, which is interesting because part of her whole complex was she never married, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think we can go to Capricorn now. These last, we, we're ending pretty strong with these. Like, okay, this is Saturn and yeah. domicile now. And these are really Saturn good domicile. So, I um, mean. <laughs> Yeah, my first example is, so the, these are people with Saturn and Capricorn, they're Aquarius risings, or their ascendant ruler, as well as the 12th house ruler is the Saturn. My first mm -hmm. example is Wayne Gretzky, um, the goat, goat of hockey. <laughs> so he's a Canadian hockey player who really is still considered like the greatest of all time. He still holds many, many records that... Um, many folks haven't even like come close to and so um like like venus just like a really well decorated athlete as well as one who played for a really really long time like he was active for over 20 years um he i think this is one thing that kind of tracks with his 12th house but really like you know he um he played with the edmonton oilers for a long time that's like what really jump-started his career in the nhl and really brought edmonton out you know from obscure you know like edmonton's like not i mean it's a city right but it's not yeah. like one of the bigger canadian cities like vancouver no. toronto montreal I mean, all the people are moving there because they want to buy houses or something but nobody's ready for that winter time in the prairies it's pretty brutal um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean. yeah another thing about Gretzky is um there was a ton of at the time you know for, like he, he okay long story short he got he eventually got traded to the Los Angeles Kings and this is mm. obviously a big freaking deal because you know Canadians love their hockey and to lose like the best player of all time to California <laughs> which really yeah. didn't have any kind of hockey scene was um 
you know, a really, really big deal. Like people were like some people were hating on Gretzky himself. A lot of people were hating on his American wife saying that um, blaming her and saying that she I guess she used to be an actress. And they were saying like um, there were people were speculating that they were moving all the way out there to L.A. so that she could jumpstart her acting career back. And that never ended up being true. Like she was like many hockey wives was already a mom of like many kids and just wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and really just did just that in LA. But I think that's big that moved to LA. I could imagine must have been really, really rough for Gretzky. Again, this is the 12th house, um, you know, moving to a completely foreign country um, for him, which I am. Um, yeah. Um, but his move to LA, a lot of folks credit with what that's what got hockey big in California. Um, and in the U.S., yeah. like Mighty Ducks yeah. came out around that time, and I remember that. Yeah, um, he never did win any awards with the Kings, though. Um, although the Kings, you know, have won um, since then, but you know, like there's other California teams, hockey teams now. And anyway, yeah, that's Gretzky. Oh my God, you're gonna laugh. So William Shatner, again, another Canadian of origin, but <laughs> spends a lot of time in the U.S. Um, I didn't know he was an equestrian and he loves horses. He breeds wow. horses. Oh my god. Like that is so <laughs> so literal. I love that. It's just like horses are like a side passion of his. It's really comical. Um oh another thing is that he is a philanthropist for a lot of different causes. So um one thing is he lost his second wife to uh, alcoholism. So what happened was she basically had so much alcohol and diazepam in her blood and she accidentally drowned, right? Um, I mean, and he basically promoted uh, Friendly House, which is this nonprofit that helped um, women recover from alcoholism and drug addiction. So I think that... Um, that being um you know um that being sort of a theme in his life i know that um on star trek there was speculation about um what's it what's it called um him and leonard nimoy had like a, a rivalry i'm mm -hmm. not sure how not sure how true that was <laughs> but um that being a thing um but yeah, I think like him processing the loss of his um, second wife to alcohol uh, alcoholism, you know, did spark some of his, um, I guess, humanitarian efforts around promoting that kind of thing. But oh my god, he like also he sold one of his kidney stones, which is hilarious. That Whoa. feels weirdly Saturnian. <laughs> that feels weirdly Saturnian, like. <laughs> oh my god i um yeah no the, there's a lot to unpack here i think this is just like so loud with william shatner um yeah. the fact that he is playing you know he's most known for playing um captain kirk, captain kirk in star, star trek, trek the original series with you know the whole premise of star trek are you have these quote-unquote scientists slash explorers um and this and star trek always tried to like figure out like writing the line between like at what point are you an explorer versus like a conqueror or an intruder yeah right? um yeah but 
space in, in, you know space being this final frontier um and um i think that just really fits to like that 12th house like the wanderings that could be associated with that um i think it also fits like saturn's association with the idea of collective bodies because i know in a lot mm. of the star trek series there's this promotion of this equitable multi-ethnic trans like planetary society right yeah Yeah. and you know for him to be the sort of lead of that is really interesting especially because you know i think it started what in the 60s 70s star Mm -hmm. trek Mm -hmm. and that being like a sort of big Mm -hmm. deal just given all the things that were going on at the time so Yeah. yeah he he and um um Oh my god, why am I blanking on the actress's name? Um, Nichelle um Nichelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols had the first like interracial on screen kiss. It was a big freaking deal back then. Yeah. And then I remember George Takei was like one of the um not that he was like the only um representation of uh Asian Americans in media, but maybe a more constructive um um representation of asian americans in media compared to some of the things in like the 40s and the 30s and the 20s for sure and um i mean you know you were saying earlier that you know apparently like um william shatner and leonard nimoy didn't get along that's not the only co-star that apparently william shatner really didn't get along with george takei very much did not get along with shatner and here's a quote that i think is just so funny from (laughs) George Takei. This is 2023. George Takei was saying, I know, the hate is still alive and well, but um, Takei described Shatner as um, Shatner is a cantankerous old fossil. All of us have had problems with him. (laughs) That is so Saturnian. That is disgustingly Saturnian. Like... It's too good. It's just kind of like, I'm here with you people sharing an experience, but we are not friends. It's very Aquarius. Like, mm-hmm. I don't fuck with you, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then, you know, I think the other point I want to make, too, about the character that he plays in Star Trek, Captain Kirk, is very much like this like chaotic good um like archetype of a cat character where he's just constantly getting into trouble but like never really gets held accountable for it and some of it is because you know he has like spock and some of these other crew members who are really trying to like who kind of bail him out each time and that feels very like saturn in the 12th yeah okay and my next two examples are um barack obama <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, he's the first black president. Only black president thus far. Um, I don't know if we'll have another one, just given the way things are going. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I just think about how multinational and multicultural his upbringing was. I mean, obviously, he's quite literally born in Hawaii, an island. That's a very 12th house experience. Um, born to a Kenyan father and a white American mother. Um, I also feel like if you read a lot of his biographies, there's just this struggle with being othered that just shows up as a complex in his life. I mean, I also do feel like the 12th house piece is um, 
just the sort of complicated legacy that Obama has. Like, yes, he's a probably one of the most um, positive symbols of um, black excellence and, you know, black masculinity that we have. But, you know, he was a U.S. president upholding the U.S. imperialism <laughs> agenda, right? I mean, from the point of view of, you know, the values of the, I guess, American society, I mean, his biggest scandal was wearing a tan suit. Like, there was no, I cheated on my wife. There was no, you know what I mean? There was none of that. Um, but again, he's still upheld, you know, the destabilization of the Middle East by, again, funding rebels to challenge Assad, <laughs> which led to the formation of ISIS. Like, I mean, it, when you think about that, like, it's just interesting. And it, I feel like it, I don't know, like, there, there's just a lot to unpack there. Um... Yeah, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> oh, I can't hear you. Shoot, sorry. Let me, that, yeah, I accidentally hit mute. My bad. Apologies for that. Um, okay. But, all good, all good. Yeah, I haven't read all his books, but I have read Dreams of My Father. And I read it because um, my partner at the time is a man, I'm a man of color also, who also really struggles with otherness. And he just found that book to be like, he could just like so, so, so relate to just like everything Obama was going through, being biracial, growing up in Hawaii. Um, yeah, I, and I could only imagine, especially as someone who's lived, who had lived in Hawaii for a while, um, you know, Obama went to the top private school in Hawaii, all on scholarship, of course. Like, he he didn't grow up with wealth by any means, um, but he still had access to, I mean, he, he um, yeah, he, he still got to go to, the, like, the best private school, and I imagine was mm -hmm. surrounded by, you know, the wealthiest um, people in the, like, the aisle in the state. And, um, I mean, yeah. The dude went to fucking harvard <laughs> yeah, yeah like he is an ivy league grad i mean even if he didn't necessarily come from wealth i mean i kind of think about it like the way i think about oprah it's like mm -hmm. don't necessarily come from wealth i mean oprah probably had a much worse beginning than he did but mm -hmm. still going on to being surrounded by some of the most influential people in the world and that being a huge part of you know the legacy i guess mm -hmm. i don't know but there's just a lot to unpack i also do feel like some of um barack obama's second saturn return was just having that legacy undone by somebody like trump which is interesting because trump yeah. has saturn in the 12th but also opposite yeah obama saturn so I think another thing about Obama's chart that's like, and specifically the Saturn and the 12th um, ruling is first. That's interesting to me is that I remember reading somewhere that, I mean, Obama didn't grow up wealthy. He's wealthy now. And all of his wealth I've heard comes from his books, which is, and all of his books have been biography or autobiographies. And that's um, really, really fascinating to me that mm. he was able to really 
um, build wealth for himself. And that very first book deal for Dreams of My Father came about because he became the ver- the first um, Black editor, I believe, of Harvard Law's um, yeah, Law Review. Review. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also feel like a huge thing was the attempt to pass healthcare reform, maybe at the expense of like focusing on other domestic things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I do feel like another part of his legacy was trying to de-escalate the relationship between states like Iran and Cuba, all things that Trump also undid. So, Damn. Yeah, no, that's um, loud. That's so much of yeah. his legacy was tied around like, identity, um, you know, just being a black man. And then to his, um, the hell, the hell, yeah, the Affordable Care Act, for sure, which yeah. Yeah, I think it's from those 12th house, really in the first house. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think that he became sim- a symbol for like a lot of marginalized people in general, because a lot of things that made society appear equitable on the surface did happen while he was president but again there's the whole under his presidency he escalated the use of drone strikes right which unfortunately kill a lot of innocent people right and things like surveillance uh did increase under his presidency so those are the things that like we don't talk about and that's why it's like really complicated to talk De- about deportations increased under his presidency that is and so true one, which is very nobody talks about it they're like go democrats um what <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and then finally we have michael j fox which is my other example so this is one where quite literally like and um he's like someone who struggles with um parkinson's disease and uh one thing is he you know had to give up acting obviously to because of his condition and i think that did happen towards the end of his second saturn return actually he permanently retired from acting altogether um i do remember that happening right before the or like around the time of the tight conjunction of saturn and jupiter but like right before they had their um major conjunction and that being quite a literal manifestation of um his and i think he was diagnosed during his first saturn return actually with um parkinson's disease but you know he's been a big advocate and you know financial support for people doing research on neurodegenerative diseases i actually got to work in a facility that benefited from some financial support um for those projects so that was quite the privilege so there you go he's another canadian and he's he's from edmonton And like, what's with Edmonton? Like, what is going on here? Okay, William Shatner doesn't count. He's from Montreal, but it's funny. <laughs> okay, this is just me making, sharing my observations as a Canadian, an American living in Canada. But there's this weird tension between Alberta, where Edmonton is, and Quebec, where Montreal is. They like have this weird hatred of each other. It's this weird East versus West dynamic. <laughs> Canada, um, which is kind of like the North versus South dynamic in the U.S. Like, mm. so it, it's just really weird to think about. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. 
Um, I do think, though, another thing with Michael J. Fox that, you know, one of the roles he's most known for is playing Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. And while William Shatner played someone who was traveling space, he was traveling time. Also very Saturnian. Um, Okay, so Aquarius Saturn, more Saturn in domicile. So we have Demi Demi Moore. Um, Again, because she has so many, like George W. Bush, has so many planets in joy. Literally coasting. Um, I feel like this Saturn in Aquarius has been pretty good for her. Not gonna lie. Um, you know, she's she looks the best she's ever looked. Um, I see her, you know, in a lot of fashion campaign things. And yeah, but I do know that there was a time when the media was kind of cruel to her and she was going through quite a bit i can't remember if it was saturn and cancer or saturn and leo but there was a time where she was just like really going through it right Mm -hmm. and i feel like she's always had like as a result like a very complicated relationship with the media i do also feel like she has a very tightly controlled thing around her image like something that i think about is her maintenance of her close relationship with bruce willis even though they were divorced and i know that a lot of people didn't really understand their relational dynamic right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know they were really involved co-parenting their three kids um you know he's since remarried and um what's it called has two kids from that marriage and she seems close with his um, new spouse and their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that dynamic, but it seems to be working. Another thing that I also thought of is Bruce was recently diagnosed with aphasia. And it seems like, uh, what's it called? They, um, her, the second wife, and you know the daughters who are all adults now, um, all put out this curated message around like this is what's going on and um things like that so i feel like that's kind of like maybe her complicated relationship with the media Mm. but also benefiting from that sort of exposure yeah I'm, i'm glad you know she's gotten more reprieve from it in more recent years like you don't see as much negative press about her but very much in the 80s and 90s um there was just so much controversy um around you know just some of the like some of the photo shoots she did for example like her mm. um you know posing nude while pregnant um I also think, you know, for the roles that she plays, I, I think a lot of them really do fill, fit these 12th house in, um, significations. Like she has, uh, when she did a lot of movies, would play a lot of these, like women on the margins, right? Like she, mm-hmm. um, the Scarlet Letter, the movie adaptation. <laughs> so that yes. one's very, very like literal. Um, G.I. Jane's another one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And striptease, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. We love it. Yeah, um, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't even know anything about like her romantic life right now, or like anything I like don't that. Like, good for her. I'm glad. Good for her. <laughs> yeah, deserve a break. Um. All right. Um. The the other example I have for Saturn and Aquarius is Queen Maria Theresa of Spain. So this is Queen um, King Louis the Fourteenth of France's wife. Um, mm-hmm. And um, 
my understanding, if I could recall correctly, I think um, she was his only queen. Like, I think they married for, like, the entirety of, I think she passed first because King Louis XIV um, lived notoriously long. But um, she was known for being, like, extremely Spanish, but extremely, um, extremely devout Catholics. So um, I think that faith tying in is, like, a big one. And um, one of the wildest controversies and... Um, it's very likely that this is not real, but you never you never know with European monarchy. And um, I first learned about this actually because it 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 comes up as a major plot point in the um, Netflix show Versailles about King Louis the Fourteenth. But mm-hmm. there were rumors at the time when she was queen that she was cheating on King Louis the Fourteenth with her um, her servant who was black. And a, um, and a little person. <laughs> and mm-hmm. little, you know, just for context for folks, I mean, sadly, both, it, this is so fucked up, but it, it, as is all monarchy, <laughs> European monarchy, but the Euro- a common trend with the European monarchy was to have one little people and two black people on your court as basically like playing these jester type roles oh and so God, she, had, she had someone in her court who was both black and a little person and anyway there are all these rampant rumors that she had not only had an affair with with him but um, ended up getting pregnant and having this black child and um it like just like threw the french court like in a tizzy um I don't know how real it ended up really being and why it came out as a rumor, but... Um, but it's been, like, a pervasive... A pervasive thing that, to this day, there's a whole Netflix show that had, like, this major plot point about that. Um, and that the child... If, if there's it was end up being real, I guess that the child was, like, secretly given up to, like, a convent of nuns and was raised as a nun. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Um... Yeah, so I think we can move to the Pisces Saturn. These people are going to have, they're still alive anyway. One of them is anyway. Um, So Saturn return, it's coming. Um, Chris Rock, the victim of the slap heard around the world um, (laughs) at the last Oscars. Um, Yeah, he's going to have a Saturn return basically starting in March. And I think what's interesting is that the Saturn, you know, rules his 10th and 11th house. Um, What's funny is that he actually was a cast member of Saturday Night Live, and it did put him kind of on the map as Mm. a comedian. But um, I think he was eventually fired from the show which did which like so what's interesting about him is like he's had these successes but there's always some weird thing that blocks him from really doing more so he was let go from saturday night live it sounds like before he you know could plan to leave he was like fired right um but then he wanted to join the show in living color which was a predominantly black um sketch show however the show got canceled right after he was on right so Mm. that would have been actually around his first saturn return in like 1993 1994 right um however you know he did go on to have a lot of um 
different specials. And something that I've noticed is that he tends to make a name for himself by unfortunately um, making these caricatures of, you know, people who are vulnerable and at the margins. So for example, um, what made him very popular on SNL was him playing a crack addict, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, during the height of, and right after the height of the, you know, the crack e- epidemic, right? So that not being great and him making these sorts of specials constantly poking fun at, you know, black people, especially black women. Um, that has been a very common you know, trope in his uh, comedy. So there is that. And he's always gotten like mixed reviews about some of the things that he's worked on. So there is that. However, in recent history, he has been benefiting from kind of being like an underdog in comedy. So after he was slapped, he did get a huge deal from freaking Netflix. $40 million. So what? I don't think he can be. I don't think he can be hurting that much. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I didn't know that. I like completely missed yeah. that. Wow. Can't be hurting that much. Wow. Um. Well, our last example is Walt Whitman, who is an American poet and yes. often considered the American poet. Right. Like when people think poetry in America, they think Walt Whitman. He, um, yeah, he, one of the other things that Walt Whitman is um, is known for was um, he was definitely into men. Um, Not sure if he was gay or bisexual. I didn't didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was known even during the his while he was alive, as well as like now that, you know, posthumously, right? Of course, all his letters have gone published. Then it's like, okay, yeah. Um, Which, again, just kind of like living on the, margins of society i do think that's very 12th house and and then his poetry himself like um i think he'd always viewed his poems as and this is why i think some of why he's considered like an american poet is he wanted to reach he wanted to write poems that like regular people would be able to read and relate to not just like some scholarly upper class elite and so um i think which is what a lot of the appeal to his poems were at the time and um you know since his death um he was popular um during his time and his funeral was like a public event that was like very very well attended um that said you know just like (laughs) a lot of our examples um you know also doesn't get remembered for like just a lot of the there there are also some fucked up things about him right but like his views on slavery and his views on nationalism and um those kind of things but yeah that's my yeah, last example i mean if i had to sum up the saturn so i really do feel like as with our other planetary examples the essential dignity really does color the experience of having a joy especially a joy of a malefic um, I, I did find that the people who had the nicer Saturn placements, maybe if they were a bit problematic or upholding problematic things, um, that's not an often cited point of their legacy. Um, for some of them, you know, the ability to ev- evade accountability, but you had some examples where some people were the actual contributors to something great, but, you know, were denied the glory of 
that experience until way later after they're dead, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think what stood out to me with a lot of these examples too is definitely dignity. Um, I actually really also noticed that like the examples of um, Saturn and Peregrine seemed like those those ones seem to struggle more even the, the more than the ones who had Saturn in um, detriment or fall. Yeah, <laughs> especially especially um, you know Saturn and the Earth and water signs. I notice. Yeah. <laughs> But like the so, fact that like George W. Bush and Trump have Saturn and Cancer, and then we have George Washington with Saturn and Aries, like that really stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I do have a feeling that depending on how history goes, maybe people in the future may view Trump in a certain way. That's not necessarily negative. I feel like we're too we're too proximal to a lot of the things that Trump and Bush did, right? To yeah. really appreciate how much it may be lost over in a history textbook. So, yeah. Well, I think that's it for our examples and for this episode. Anything else? No. Um, thank you all for diving into the series on the joys with us. And I'm really looking forward to talking about those houses that, you know, don't, have joys associated with them yes and then after that i'm excited i mean mo and i are gonna, are gonna have to kind of convene and figure out what our next series will be but there will be because we have a lot of ideas and we just have to narrow it down Ooh, okay thank you guys and we'll see you next time thanks bye everyone